Thanks very much for that, Simon. Well, if you have a Bible, please do open with me or switch on your phone to Psalm 40. You'll have it, uh, find it helpful to have that open in front of you as we look down at it together for a few moments. Before Emily was baptized this evening, it was lovely, wasn't it, to hear her testimony. That is the story of God's work in her life, bringing her to faith in Jesus, and not just bringing her to faith in Jesus, but sustaining her faith in Jesus. That word testimony is a word um, that I'm sure many of us are familiar with. If any of you have ever done jury duty or you've been tracking with the strangely absorbing Johnny Depp and Amber Heard case over the past while, you'll be familiar with this idea of a witness stepping forward to give their testimony. It's usually a word that we hear in a courtroom. A testimony is a witness who steps forward to tell of what they've seen heard, and experienced. And so when Emily was stepping forward uh, to this stand here, she was sharing her testimony, stepping forward as a witness to tell her story, what she's seen, heard, and experienced in her relationship with God. And this is a fundamental part of being a Christian. We are the people with a story to tell, a story of how God has changed our lives and transformed our minds. There are many places in the Bible, actually, where you can go to read of men and women whose lives have been changed by God, and they share their stories, and they're recorded in the Bible. And one place where you find a concentration of such testimonies is in a book called the Psalms. The book of Psalms is like a collection of prayers, poems, and songs. It's very personal. These prayers often express joy in God's wonderful work in the author's life. And when I met with Emily last week uh, and planned this evening's service, I asked her if there was any particular Bible passage that uh, she's come to appreciate in a special way that has just come back to her again and again. And without delay, she mentioned the psalm we're going to focus on just now, Psalm 40, which is in fact one of the most beautiful testimony psalms in the whole book of Psalms. The author of Psalm 40 is a man called David who started his life in very lowly circumstances as a shepherd, but he ended up being one of the greatest leaders in Israel. You can read the story of his rise in First and Second Samuel in the Old Testament. But David shares his story in this psalm because he wants to stir his readers, and that includes us. He wants to stir hope in our lives. He wants us to hear the story of God's work in his life so that we will come and be stirred and encouraged and find the same hope that he has come to know in God himself. We could summarize the main moves that David makes in the retelling of his story like this. He speaks first of the great rescue he has experienced, then second of the new life that he has entered, and then third, he speaks of the steadfast hope that he now enjoys in his relationship with God. So it's my hope that perhaps Emily's testimony this evening and now David's testimony will start making you think, do I have a testimony? What's my story? 
Do I have any kind of story about God's work in my life? Or is that something that I've just completely pushed away? So let's think, first of all, of the great rescue that David recounts here in the opening couple of verses. In verses one and two, David poetically reflects on a past trial, a time when he was low, when he felt stuck and was in a state of despair. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry Isn't that such beautiful language? There was a time, David says, when I was in trouble and I cried out to God for help and he didn't ignore me. He turned towards me and he listened. He heard my cry. But he didn't just listen and say, oh, poor you. He acted. Verse two, he drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the merry bog. That's powerful poetic language that David's using to communicate how low he was at this time in his life. And God did more than just hear him and draw him out of his trial. He also put him in a new stable place where he would not sink in the same way again. He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. That doesn't mean that he's not going to experience any more trials, as we'll see later on in the psalm. He's actually back in a place where he's going through some difficult times. But he says, now in all the ups and downs, there's something stable under my feet, a rock that God has given me to stand on. And we'll consider what that rock is in just a little moment. As we look at David's opening couple of lines as he describes and recounts this past deliverance, we don't know the specifics of David's trial. But as I've said often here at Great Vic, I think this is a good thing in the Psalms because it enables us to insert our own stories into the prayer. Many of us who are Christians here this evening can look back over our lives and take David's words on our own lips. We can look back over times when we've had various trials when we've been through difficulties and we've felt very low, but we look back and see how God has held us fast. He has lifted us out of countless pits and challenges and trials and difficulties and has been our faithful father. But there is one expression that David uses here that speaks of another kind of trial and difficulty that we all face by nature. David says here in verse 2 that the Lord lifted him from a pit of destruction. And though we go through many trials in this life, we know from God's word that there is no more serious situation that we are in than the the fact that we all have by nature unforgiven sins, and we are under the just condemnation from God because of our rebellion against him. In the New Testament, in Romans six twenty three, we read that the wages of sin is death, and if we die in our sin, we will go to this pit of destruction. But praise God, the good news of the gospel 
is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to deal with the problem of our sins, to take upon himself our rebellion, to bear our sins in his body on the cross, to satisfy the judgment of God so that he could take it away from us. So as we depicted this evening through Jesus, if we're united to him by faith, as he died on the cross, our old sinful self dies with him and is done away with. And we're raised up to newness of life in Jesus Christ. So David's story of deliverance out of a pit can be the story for each of us of our delivery out of a pit. When I was young, I spent most of my summers helping out at my grandest farm down in a wee place called Adian in County Tyrone. I have many fond memories of those days, um, but none um, sort of stand out as much as a time when I got stuck in some real deep mud between uh, two ditches. My feet were in the wellies, and if any of you have been in this situation, you'll know it well. And you go to pull your foot out, but you can't get it out because the mud's caused a vacuum. And you, know, you lift your foot out, and out comes the foot, and the wellie stays in. Well, I was completely stuck and falling over and getting quite upset as a young boy. And I remember my grandfather just striding. He's a big six-foot-two man, and uh, hands, you know, like as rough as, as whatever. And uh, he just came, and he grabbed me by both the hands, and he just scooped me up. And then my granny came and took the wellies and uh, lifted me up out of the mud. And I remember it. And any time I read Psalm 40, verses 1 and 2, I think of this. Because David is employing that kind of picture to say, I am rejoicing that my God is a God who scoops people out of the mud of sin, death, and hopelessness. And he doesn't just lift us. He sets us in a new place. He washes us down. He makes us new. That is the wonderful news that David is rejoicing in at the start of this psalm. And just before we move into the next section, I just again want to ask the question, do you have a story to tell of your own this evening, of how God has done that for you? For I said that we as Christians all can take this story on our lips, but if you're here and you're not a Christian, you can't. It's not your story, but it could be your story. And as we continue to think about this, Listen carefully and we'll think about how by union with Jesus, by trusting in Jesus, this can be our story. So after rejoicing in the great rescue he's experienced, David in the next part of the psalm goes on to rejoice and speak of the new life that he has entered into. David proceeds in the next part of the story to rejoice in the fact that God has not only saved him from the pit of destruction, but he's given him a whole new purpose to live for, a whole new life. And he puts it so beautifully with these words in verse three. He put a new song in my mouth. I think that has got to be one of the most beautiful expressions in the Psalms. Summary of what God has done to change our hearts, change our lives, change our futures. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. David is saying, God's rescue of my life has totally changed my life. I have a new heart. And from the overflow of this new heart comes a new song of joy. David goes on to say, many will see and hear and put their trust in the Lord. He's saying, through my testimony, through my story, through people witnessing what God has done in my life. They're going to witness a change. They're going to hear my new song. They're going to see my new way of thinking, speaking, and living. 
And he hopes that many will see God's work in his life and they themselves will be drawn to think, what is this? And find an interest in it themselves. David extols then in verse 4 this life of trusting the Lord. He said, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. He's saying, don't turn aside in pride to any other means of rescue. Don't go astray after false salvations from the problems of life. Listen, we all have problems. We all have brokenness. As much as we want to pretend, none of us has it all together. We all have stuff we're not proud of. We've all committed sins and have wrong thoughts and have said things that we're not proud of. We can't even stand up and stay up to our own standards, never mind God's standards. And we can turn to many other places to try and numb the fact that deep down we know there's something wrong. Mostly we try to just entertain ourselves to death. David's saying, don't turn aside to false salvations. There's one deliverer, one hope of rescue, one rescuing God. And then he summarizes in the next part the new life that he has experienced and says it's characterized by two things. First, a new life of walking in God's ways, not just doing your own thing. And second, a life where we declare the greatness of God and the newfound joy that we have with other people. So let's just think of what he says about those two things for a moment. In verse six, David says that he, he knows God doesn't want empty religious rituals but he wants people to have a relationship with him. God does not want us just to be religious people. He wants us to have a relationship with him. In fact, the essence of Christianity is that our God is relational and invites us to have a relationship with him. That is the only way we will experience deep satisfaction for the deepest longings in our lives. When we are reconnected with God according to his purpose for creating us. And so David says here that God doesn't just want sacrifice and offerings, but he wants David to have an open ear. That means he wants Christians, disciples, followers of God, God wants us to listen to his ways. His ways revealed in in the word, in the Bible. He wants us to walk in his ways, not just to make up our own morality in life, but to actually walk in God's revealed ways of human flourishing. In verse eight, David says, I delight to do your will, O God, your laws within my heart. As Christians, we're not just people who get a ticket to heaven and then say, now I can live any way I want. We are those who no longer live for ourselves, but live for the Lord who loved us and gave himself for us. This is called the life of repentance. And it's essential if you want to become a Christian. Repentance means simply you make an about turn instead of living your life for yourself. You realize the illusion and the false promise of, of security that gives and that you pushed God away and you, you say, I'm sorry, Lord, for doing that. I repent of that. I turn away from that. And I want to turn to you. And I want to live for you. And I want to receive Jesus. And I want to walk in your ways because you have said that walking in your ways is the way we flourish. It's the way we are truly satisfied. So we repent, we turn to Jesus, we walk in God's ways. The Christian life involves a total transformation. We're given a new heart, a new mind. 
A desire to walk in God's ways, not just the ways that we make up for ourselves. And David is celebrating this and saying, this is the new way that I have been called into. But second, he says, the other thing that characterizes this new life is not just a life of obedience and walking in God's ways. It is a life where we overflow with joy in the Lord and we want to declare the greatness of God to other people. Sometimes people can get a bit frustrated with us as Christians because we want to tell our story. We want to tell people about our faith. We want to invite people to church. And if you think about it, this desire, it's not just badgering. This is a good thing. It's actually a loving thing. We're all evangelists of what we love. If you find a new chocolate bar, you'll say, here, have you, have you tasted that? Like, I just love picnics, Cadbury's picnics. And I will happily say, have you tasted a picnic? If you don't like it, you really don't know what you're doing. We're evangelists of what we enjoy. Have you seen that movie? I watched this movie. It's absolutely brilliant. And that's what we are as Christians. We're people who have discovered something incredible in, in the grace of God, and we want to share that with others. And that's what David goes on to speak of here in verse 5. He says, You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds, your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them. Yet they're more than can be told. Then in verse 9, I've told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I've not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I've not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I've spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I've not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. This is the calling of everyone who has found this same joy in being made right with God. It is the calling and the privilege of every Christian to declare the greatness of God. In 1 Peter 2.9, the apostle Peter writes, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that is for God's possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I think that is a wonderful thought to go into this week with. This week, we're all busy with work, or we're busy in our day-to-day -day lives with our family, with our friends, all the jobs and messages and hospital appointments and stuff we have to do. We're busy with it all, but let's try to remember we have a vocation that's greater than any other vocation, and that is to try as best as we can to enjoy and to share the truth of the excellencies of our God, the excellencies, and they are manifold perfections. It is a joy to not just have your own well filled up with joy in the Lord, but to have it flow over so that others can be refreshed. That's what's going on in this psalm. David summarizes all of this in that third verse saying, he's put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and hear, and, and his hope is that they will put their trust in the Lord. So again, I just want to ask each of us this evening, do you know what David's talking about? Do you have a new song in your mouth? Or do you not have any song? What moves your heart to sing? In Psalm, 100, or Psalm 13 verse 6, the same psalmist writes, I'll sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Do you have a song to sing this evening? Well then, find ways, you're invited to find ways this week to delight in that song and to express it. So, David has 
in this psalm, spoken of the great rescue he experienced, then the new life he has entered into, and now thirdly and finally, he speaks of the steadfast hope that he has found in all the ups and downs of life. In verses 11 and 12, we learn that David's now in a new trial, and he's actually recounting his memory of God's rescue and faithfulness in the past to help him in the present. This is a good thing to do. Remember God's past acts of faithfulness to help you in your present hurts. That's a really important practice for us as Christians. And isn't the prayer of verse 11 just beautiful? As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. He will hold me fast, David's saying. Verse 12, for evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me. I cannot see. They're more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. You begin to see what he's doing. He's back in a trial. He's remembering the amazing nature of God's past deliverance and faithfulness. He's reminding himself of his call to praise in the storm and to stand faithfully and to live for the Lord. But now he's crying out again because he feels fearful because of the enemies around him. And let's remember, as Christians, we're not immune to fear. We continue to battle challenges and difficulties, but we're a people who call out to the Lord. David feels fearful because of his enemies, but worse, he feels weighed down by his sinfulness. See what he says in verse 12? My iniquities have overtaken me. I can't see. They're more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. He just feels so like he's struggling. It's like his sin has blinded him almost to the greatness of God. And he wants to rediscover that fresh joy again. And so David in verse 13 cries out, Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Make haste to help me. And then in verse 16 he prays a prayer, essentially asking for God to restore to him the joy of his salvation. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. You see, David has learned in his life, in all the ups and downs, everything he needs is in God. All his fountains find their source and satisfaction and quenching in the Lord himself. And so he says, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. Sometimes in the darkness, the only thing you can be joyful in is the Lord who never leaves you. And so he prays in the closing words of verse 17, as for me, I'm poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. Maybe tonight you're here and you need to hear that. That you're here and you've come in this evening and for whatever reason you're feeling poor and needy, lonely, stretched, weary. If anyone knew just how low you feel, you'd be embarrassed. But the reality is there is no need to be embarrassed. David says, I'm poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. The Lord takes thought for you this evening. He takes thought for you. He, he stops he takes thought for you. He considers what's in front of you that's making you feel anxious and fearful and clouded with clouds of difficulty. The Lord takes thought for me. 
Take that as a word for you. Take that as a precious promise. The Lord takes thought for me. And then he writes, you're my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. David has found a solid place to stand in all the uncertainties of life, a place where he can find joy even in the midst of darkness. His hope is in the Lord. His new song is a song, a song of hope that we can all take on our lips this evening through Jesus Christ. As I close, let me ask this question that I started with. Do you have a story to tell of God's wonderful work in your life? Well, if you're here and you're a Christian, you do. Perhaps you've lost some of the wonder and joy of your story. Ask the Lord to restore to you this evening the joy of your salvation. Ask him to renew you. We need all of us daily revival. Daily revitalization and renewal. We need it every day. Our tendencies to lose the joy. If you're a Christian, you do have a story to tell, but perhaps that story needs to be, the beauty of it needs to be rediscovered. Pray that God would do that in your heart this evening. If you're here and you're not a Christian, as I said earlier, you don't have this song of deliverance, but in Jesus Christ, you can. You can sing this new song. What does that mean? Well, it's back to what I said earlier. If we want to know the solid rock of God's forgiveness, God's grace, God's new song in our lives, we have to repent and turn from our sin, living our own way, and turn and receive Jesus Christ by faith. We receive Jesus, the one that God sent into the world to save us out of our pit of destruction. The rock Christ who we are put on by God the Father and God the Holy Spirit so that we can have a firm place to stand. God, by his Spirit, puts a new song in our mouths. That means he gives us a new life. And he invites us to know God as our stable rock to stand on who will never sink though all else gives way. You can make this song your own song this evening because the Father has sent his Son to scoop us out of the pit of our sins and the Father in his Son, Jesus, tonight holds out his hands and says, come to me. Come to me and in my Son you will find rest. You'll find forgiveness, washing, a new place to stand. You'll discover a new song, a new life and a steadfast hope. So let me leave you with this question. Is this your song? And if not, will you start to sing this song of salvation this evening by putting your trust in Jesus Christ? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the simple recounting of David's story in Scripture, the rescue he experienced, the new life he discovered, the steadfast hope that was rock solid under his feet. Father, thank you for those of us who are in Christ this evening that we have a song to sing. You've put a new song in our mouths. What a summary statement for the whole of our new Christian lives. And Lord, if there are people here tonight and they don't know Jesus, Lord, they could come to Christ this evening put their hope in him, find forgiveness, 
see in this beautiful picture of baptism their old life of sin, crucified with Christ, buried and done away with. And they can be risen up to newness of life through the powerful resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we pray tonight that you would be at work in our midst, encouraging us so that we would go out of here singing the wonderful song of our salvation, whether that is new this evening or whether it is a song that we've been singing for many years. Oh Lord, thank you for the truth that's shone through this evening, that you're the God who holds your people fast. And we thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's respond to this message by singing uh, a song of blessing to the Lord. Let's stand as a response and sing, bless the Lord, O my soul. These are the words of Psalm 103, another song recounting great joy in the Lord. So let's stand and praise God together.
now may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Please do be seated. Uh, there are going to be some refreshments served at the back, so uh, don't rush off if you uh, don't have to. Um, if you're visiting, make yourself known to us, and uh, let's just continue to encourage one another uh, as refreshments are served. God bless and enjoy the rest of your evening.